Welcome to the Walk Around Podcast. Our goal is to share with you the insights, the skills, the processes, and the leaders that are influencing the retail automotive landscape today. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Funch, as always, joined by Danny Mandrell. How you doing, Danny? Doing great, Nick. Good to see you. Have you got your birthday hat on? I do. I did. It's it's come off, but we're 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 excited for the birthday of the Walk Around Podcast. You know, we're getting the streamers out. We got to get the cupcakes out because we're right at about the year mark. It's very exciting. Yeah, I think we need we should celebrate with one of those smash cakes. Isn't that like what you do for one year olds? You know, you put the cake. I, in I front think of that's them. that's the trend. Yeah, for sure. Before we get to the cake, though, want to get to our guest. We have uh, an exciting guest today, Duran Cage. Welcome, Duran. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. And <clears throat> yes, the, the cake is right. You're spot on. I, I, I never understood those until my wife was like, we've got to have a, a cake that, that we just beat down. Smash <laughs> like, <okay>. cake. <laughs> yes. So uh, that always brings a smile to my face. But thank you both for letting me be on. Yeah, excited to um, take a walk around automotive with you. Uh, just to level set, I know you've got 15 years experience in the automotive industry, uh, OEM district sales manager, internet director, GSM, um, consulting, and you have kind of your own company, Cage Automotive, that uh, you continue to impact the employee and customer experience across dealerships. Uh, you not only consult for modern, many dealerships across the country, but recently launched um, a modern online experience training course, Cage Campus, through Cage Campus and Cage Automotive. Along with your team, uh, you help automotive stores uh, reach farther and impact greater to leave everything than you found it. You mentioned your wife, you enjoy spending time with your wife and four children. So you probably have a couple smash cakes in your uh, background. So enjoy playing with the kids, a little basketball, a little golf bowling and uh, reading books. So um, again, happy to take a walk around with you today. Curious, kind of fill in, we talked about 15 years in the automotive industry. How'd you get started in automotive and, and give us kind of the highlight reel of your career up to this point? Yeah, so a quick highlight was in one of the reasons I'm here is one of my best friends who got me into the industry actually works for JMA. So uh, kudos to you guys. You guys got a great one. But <clears throat> excuse me, Casey, um, when we were in high school, we started right after we got out of school, we worked for his dad as car salespeople <laughs> and uh, had some fun doing it. And uh, we always knew we'd probably stay in the automotive space. So when I graduated and he graduated, he, you know, he still stayed retail, but somehow ended up on the OEM side. You know, the OEMs reached out. Chrysler back then is what it was called. And then um, I think it was 07. And so they shipped me out to Memphis, Tennessee okay. as the district sales manager. And then from there, did that for a year. And if anybody remembers in 08, it was tough on, in terms of economy, but it was big in terms of digital. Yeah. And so I really was pushing digital and, and building internet departments back then about the importance. And so one store just said, put your money where your mouth is. So I went and worked for them for eight years, did half as an internet director, another half as a GSM. Then after that, really got into the consulting work. So did it for another company. And then after a couple of years of doing that, started my own in February of 2018. And so it's definitely been a journey, but that kind of gives a quick overview of the, the young kids selling cars with my buddy KC to now uh, pouring into people that, that were like in that same age is funny and just talking to them like, hey, take it serious now, don't wait. Like I did 10 years and then get serious. So it's been a great ride. So a lot to dig into there. Awesome. I love kind of hearing the stories of one, how people ended up in automotive and kind of where that path took them. But if you could go back and kind of tell one thing to that young kid you mentioned yourself, 
Uh, what would you tell them? hundred percent would be just invest in yourself. And it doesn't have to be hire some trainer, but one thing I've learned, and even to this day, I still spend a lot of time and money on myself. But when you invest in yourself, I always tell them you should expect on a minimum 10 times return on the high end. It could be as, as much as 100x. So think about a book, right? If, if I would have slowed down back in 2002 and just read maybe a couple of Zig Ziglar books, like something just to like really lean into, it yeah. would have it would have massively made a big difference. And so that's what I tell people now is like, take a little bit of your income and just invest it back into yourself. And I promise you the return, it, it's always a good one. So that that's always my advice to everybody. Just take time to invest in yourself. Yeah, certainly it paid off for you. Um, I think we probably all have some stories about that, but you know, what an exciting time to be in automotive. Uh, the business is on fire. There's a lot of kind of things that are outside of our control influencing that, but also inside of our control. Kind of what's your take on the market today and, and kind of what's happening? So, you know, what's interesting now, yeah, this year is one of those years that if I could have had the goggles and saw what was going to happen, I might have put a pause and said, hey, I'm going to come sell cars for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because I'm sure you've seen it like the profits and the dealerships have made, they've been healthy. And so, but now what we've seen is what this inventory now, I think is the shift turns back. So we went through this inventory shortage, high demand, low supply, and then now it's starting to pan out a little bit. So what's interesting to see is how are dealers bouncing back? Like what's your marketing strategy now? So for a while right. it was really value driven because you couldn't sell on price. And so it's interesting to see like which dealers are going to come back down to that price-driven model and it's like, let's get them out. And then which ones are going to try to raise the bar and keep the value high at where it should be, respectively. And so that's what I've been seeing. And then also a little bit of people falling into bad practices the last few months because my third grader, and this is no offense, but I feel like he could have gone on a lot and sold a few cars <laughs> this, this summer. And yeah. so some people fall into that trap like, hey, I can just show up to work without a plan and do well. And I think now we're starting to see it here in the fall that you actually have to get back to having a really good process and a plan for each day. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, I heard a story. Hey, I was talking with somebody and they were kind of pretty clear cut on the fact that um, they were doing some work in a dealership and a dealership was like, if it didn't fit this certain kind of model, including kind of how they were paying for the vehicle and trade and all this kind of stuff you know, they had a lot more control to kind of pass on deals and you just be careful, man, when you play with fire on some of that. But so what you you put yourself back in kind of that GSM role, put yourself back in that internet director role. What are you focused on? What are, what are you working on kind of with your team if, if you're in that dealership environment today? Yeah. So 100%. And I know this, this, this term is getting overused a lot. This experience, you know, we call it, we've heard EXP, we've heard all this, but it really is, man, like I think the bar has been raised so high in terms mm -hmm. of the online experience. And so before you would just inspect response times, you know, when it comes to internets or, you know, you're looking for different things, how many calls did we make? But in this day and age, you have to dig in a little bit deeper and look at engaged response time. Like once you're having a conversation, how long is it taking for the customer to get the information that they're seeking for? You know, is it taking hours? Is it taking days or is it taking minutes? So that's what I'd be looking for as a GSM and the Internet director is really dialing in and looking at every customer interaction. And this is what I tell people, like, slow down and look at every customer interaction as if you were the one that was going to buy a car from your dealership. Would you continue? Would you keep going with the process? Would you buy a car from your dealership the way that you've been communicated to? And it's funny because when people put that lens on it, like, actually, I would not because you're asking direct questions 
but you're not able to get the right responses. So that's what I would be reviewing on a daily basis with the team is just looking at each interaction as like a, a real human being that's trying to buy a car from your dealership. Yeah. Danny, what are some of your thoughts there? You know, I think that's, that's great. It's, you, you can almost imagine yourself in that role, kind of mapping out the different touch points and saying like, where, if I were going through this myself, where am I experiencing friction here, here, here? How could I reduce that friction? And, and overall, a little bit here, a little bit there kind of adds up to a lot at the end. I think the, and I just wrote a note as you were talking, that engaged response time, it, it sounds like that as a metric beyond kind of the standard metrics that, that we look at today is something that deals to really be leaning in on. Yeah, I love that. So what's your kind of thought on on um, establishing or, or learning that information? Do you hire a mystery shopper? Do you do it yourself? Like, give me some of your thoughts there. Yeah, so mystery shops are good, but it's not real, right? You know, okay. so I can mystery shop and I still do that. So my team will do mystery shops, but what we do is we'll just call it like an audit. So we have a score system that we look for. Like, did you receive a picture? Did we answer the customer's questions? Did they receive a video? So that yeah. way we can look at any customer interaction on a one-on-one. -on -one. So it's like a coaching call I had this morning with a group of salespeople, and we'll just pull up all the requests that have come in from the last 72 hours and just spot check and say, how would you score yourself here? Yeah. You know, I don't do the scoring. I give them the, the tool, like how many points it is for each little thing that we're looking for. And then that way it puts the, the employee in the, you know, they have to self-assess. I'm a big person on self-assessment. So they actually have to look at it and be like, well, <laughs> I missed this, but I did do this. It looks like I scored an 83. Like, there we go. So what can we do to get it to 100? So constantly just scoring it and inspecting what you expect is really the best way. Because mystery shops, again, they are, they're okay. But in 2021, customers can ask so many different things that typically on a mystery shop, you might not ask. Well, it's, it's interesting to me because in order to kind of do that, if I were going to say, hey, I'm, I want to evaluate the last kind of you know, 72 hours of customer engagements, you probably need your process to find and what good looks like within the store. And so, I mean, it's interesting. I think, and Danny, it ties back to some of the conversations we've had is like, hey, is that process kind of clearly defined? What does it look like? Because if that's muddy, then you have a hard time kind of uh, self-assessing, whether it's self-assessment or somebody else assess assessing. Is that is that accurate? It is because, you know, it's interesting because I, and this is going to sound bad on my part, but I literally just had that happen a few months ago where I'm always coaching about, hey, this is what I want you to do. Here's what we're supposed to be doing. But I, I didn't map that and have it 100% match within their CRM and their processes to make it easier. So we're right. talking about what we want them to do, but with technology, it's like, oh my gosh, let's make this easier. You know, but I still want them to think. Like I'm not big on a bunch of templates. I can't stand it because it makes us just want to just fire a template to anybody. Like, I'm just sending this to Danny. Right. Here we go. He'll like this. But at least what I've done is I've changed the verbiage in terms of day two. Now would be a good time to do this. But I'm not yeah. going to put the information in there for them because I want them to think. So you're you're spot on, like making it easier for people to just I even have five by seven index cards in front of their desk so they can look at it and make sure, are we giving the ultimate experience when we're working with a customer? But you're spot on in bulk, putting it into the process. If you can make it simple to where, again, you hire somebody and they could understand it within 30 minutes of looking at it, that should be the goal. Yeah. And so how do you, so 
So defining process, what are your, some of your thoughts on kind of where we're headed as an industry, kind of the impact of, of um, a lot of potential disruptors, whether it's kind of used car experience disruptors or kind of new car forgetting um, and kind of their model. What, what are some of your thoughts there? I'd be interested to, to learn. And mine might not be popular. <laughs> That's all right. I still believe that in the industry in the, in the future is if we want to grow, we've got to empower our employees to do more. You know, uh-huh. um, I feel like there's too many layers still at dealerships uh, where, you know, to get information to do this, to, you know, to even look at a credit score or even to start that process where a sales rep or an Internet rep, a BDC person, empower them to do a little bit more to help the customer. So, again, I think either Danny or some one of you talked about friction. We yeah. should, I'd like to see more dealerships look at the friction that they have when customers are buying a car and the friction that people have when they're selling one. So we talk a lot about friction about buying, but what yeah. about the friction? If you, if one of us three went to go sell a car, yeah. we would want it to be as frictionless as possible to, in order to us help the customer achieve what they want, but also to respect our time so we could get on to the next customer and help them out. And so that's what I would challenge more dealerships to do is like, let's back up, look at the friction from a sales standpoint and from a buying standpoint, and what can we eliminate or what can we empower our employees to be able to do more to make the job easier for the managers at the store and then also make the process easier for customers. So I'm not saying that we all need to go and there's nothing wrong with this group like CarMax. I'm not saying that we, that all dealerships should do that. I'm just saying, depending on the culture and what the store is trying to accomplish, it would be great to see more people empowered at the lower end part of the dealership that are handling the customers the most. You know, it's like thinking about going through the exercise of really outlining your process, I would think would highlight some kind of duplicity of work and where there's redundancy in work or where people are kind of having to go get the same information twice. It seems like going through and really outlining kind of the the nuts and bolts of, of any process, whether it's sales floor, internet, you know, buying, selling, trading, financing, would enable that, oh, well, if if the salesperson's already collecting XYZ, right, why are we redoing that information here? And through that, you would probably find natural efficiencies. Do, do I have that right? I mean, you see it the same way? That's it. I mean, it's, it's right there. And I think what happens is, and I fell into this trap too, when you work at a dealership, like when you're working at a place long enough, you miss that stuff because you're so used to it. It's kind of like, in your house, if you got a hole in the wall, you never realize it until it comes to sell it. And somebody yeah. says, well, there's a hole in the wall. And so I feel like that's what happens to a lot of dealerships is that they get so accustomed to what feels normal that they forget about that hole in the wall that they have at the dealership. So you're spot on. So, and I know I, we talked about process, but like, how do you, how I'm a dealer and I, I want to notice the holes in the wall. I mean, how do I do? I would like present, like how, how do you approach it? If, if that's your dealership and you want to say, you, you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, listen, I want to um, notice all the holes in my dealership. How do you go about doing it? That, how, how would you approach it? So I would make sure we take a step back if, if I'm the dealer and I like to make decisions based on data. But okay. before we can do that, we have to make sure the data is accurate. So we might have to have a meeting first and not tell the teams what we're trying to do, but just incentivize like, hey, I want to make sure that our customers, when we actually talk to them, that's logged in the CRM. When we actually mm-hmm. take them for a test drive, that's logged in the CRM. The moment that you show up to the dealership, that needs to be logged. So that way we can look at time efficiency. 
How long is it taking for a customer when they get logged into the CRM to the time that they leave our dealership? So I would start there looking at the time and then the actionables would be watching your team. So I would just sit there and watch when they're working the customer. And anytime you notice a customer that's spending more than five or 10 minutes by themselves, that's going to show you a quick breakdown because a customer, if they're left alone for longer than two or three minutes, it feels like an hour. So yeah. that's another thing from a physical standpoint, like a live standpoint, watch that. And the same thing with internet departments. If you hear them on the phone and there's a long pause where a customer asks them a question and there's like this awkward two or three minutes where it's like, yeah, click, that's a breakdown. And so yeah. that's what I look. So I would look at data, make sure that the data is accurate, that you have going into the CRM to look for efficiency there and look for those those gaps or those holes in the walls. And then also just by being present and just listening and just watching without stepping in, because that's the hardest part. When you step back as a dealer or GM and you're watching it, you're, your focus is to what? You want to get in there like, dude, this is getting bad. But you really have to take a step back and just really watch everything play out. And, uh, and that will have a lot of, a lot of the, the dealer's answers as well. Yeah, the, there's a reason why a customer is by themselves. And I, I, I'm just trying to think of all the different reasons. Salespersons at the desk, salespersons gassing up a car, salespersons pulling the tray. It's like all of those things, the customer's going to potentially tell themselves a story and, and just kind of that physical awareness of here's a customer, they've been by themselves, a why may lead you down a path to kind of solving some friction in the transaction. And, um, and then I love that note too, just on like, you look at that journey and say, okay, where are their possible points where we could point to data and say, okay, well, if it's this today, how could we get it from whatever the data point is to trending in the right direction? Because then letting the data lead your insights and lead your strategy, then you can make an objective decision about, well, okay, is this process improvement working? Is this strategy working as a leader? Um, are we moving in, in the right direction? And, and so kind of down that path, Duran, I'm curious, say you're a dealership leader, you're listening to this, maybe you're a little bit farther down the path. You've identified process improvements. You're trying to roll them out. You're trying to improve the holes in the wall. How do you get that stuff to stick? I think human nature, a lot of times we kind of fall into what's comfortable, what we're used to. And if, especially in today's world, like if you're a leader and you're trying to get these things to really stick and get the buy-in from your teams, what are you advising dealers about that today? It's really one word, call it praise, you know, recognition. You know, that's what even as us as children, that's what we enjoy. That's what we like. And so in public scene, if, if you're getting praised for doing the behavior that we're looking for, you're going to win. I mean, I got to feel praise today. Somebody gave me a shout out on on social media for doing a training this morning. They shot me. And I'm telling you, man, I was like 20 feet tall and I'm already six five. And so <laughs> If you, it makes me want to do it again. Like it makes me want to get back on the Zoom call and do another training with them. And so I think that's the answer to it is you have to praise what you're inspecting and recognize that in a public nation, you know, or in an email to everybody, but just say, hey, can I take a quick second? I want to recognize, you know, Bobby, you know, for, for taking the time to slow down and make sure that he did this, this, and this, or recognize Samantha for doing this, this, and this, because by her doing this, this helps us out. I mean, it could even go back to being the source. Like a lot of dealerships, we don't put in the right source of how the customer came in. And so recognize somebody that did, didn't just use the same source for every interaction. Just recognizing that is one of the best ways because you can either 
you could recognize or you could do the other route, which is punishment. I mean, neither one is wrong. Like you could do a disincentive where if you're not doing some of the behaviors that we're looking for, then maybe you don't get to qualify for this, whatever that weekend spiff is or that monthly incentive. So there's two ways. It just depends on the culture of the store and how that thing runs. But that's what I would do is just I found a lot of success in praising what I'm looking for. I do it now still as a consultant when I'm asking people to do these uncomfortable things that I need them to do to create the best experience. I try to recognize them and praise them as much as I can. And that keeps that behavior coming. Yeah, I don't I'm no psychologist, but I think, um, you know, building people up gets everyone a lot further than kind of breaking people down. And listen, there's time and a place and we're working in retail. Certainly we've all I would assume the majority of people have been on the receiving end of some of these beatdowns. But, uh, you know, think back and um, to your point, a little bit of um, kudos can can go a long way go a long way. So Danny, uh, this has been great. While they're pulling up a smash cake, you know, what are your thoughts on, uh, on our conversation today? Yeah, no, I love it. I think I, I took a lot of notes as we were talking. I think towards the end of the conversation, we talked about just the data driving that process improvement. And I think that's something that you could just really wrap your arms around and, and dive into and let that data help you make the decisions about whatever it is your goal is for your team and, and for your process and, and for your store. So Nick, what about you? For me, it's invest in yourself. I think there's no better. I think about kind of that and the positivity. You, When you're kind of accountable for your own development and kind of uh, the next step, like if it's going to be, it's up to me. It kind of removes that whole victim side of of whether, any role you're in, whether it's sales, whether it's um, in automotive or outside of outside of automotive. Kind of investing in yourself and having that self awareness to do it is powerful. And then, listen, I love the um, you know you're going to the positivity and, and kudos for people. I think people respond um, with kind of that that hand up. Doesn't mean you can't hold them accountable for their actions, but kind of showing them the right way. So. Duran, this has been fantastic. Where can um, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so they can uh, find on find me on social media. Just okay. you know, search Duran Cage D U R R A N. Even if you do one R, you'll find me. Or you can Google. Okay. There's only one of me so far that I've found. <laughs> and so yeah, but they can follow me on on either one of those platforms. My phone numbers on on everything, and they can go to the website as well. It's CageAutomotive.com. Well, we will make sure to link to that in this comments. And then if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to um, like it, share it with your friends, and then also shoot us a note. Tell us uh, what other topics or other interesting people you'd love to hear from, and and we'll get them on the show. So Duran, uh, thank you. And until next time, we'll talk soon. Thank you both. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate you guys' time. Okay. Yeah. Be sure to keep listening to The Walk Around as we explore the retail automotive space to keep up with the leaders that are influencing the retail automotive landscape today. We really appreciate you joining us today. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to subscribe and rate us and share it with your friends. 